Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 889 with Jake Brewer. So in robot restaurant years, we're like a thousand years old. But in real human years, we're just over five. We kind of were at the very forefront of what I would call restaurant robotics, like in its current form. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. With Margin Edge, you can track food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. And who likes data entry? No one. So you'll be thrilled to hear that there's no more data entry with Margin Edge. They will save your team hours and paperwork by automating your invoice processing with line item detail. Don't worry about tech integration either because Margin Edge allows you to seamlessly connect your POS and accounting systems and get a daily P&L. And on top of all of this, Margin Edge enables you to digitally manage your inventory and recipes. Plus, you can compare actual costs versus theoretical costs. Head to MarginEdge.com slash Unstoppable to sign up for a free demo. And when you use that link, you can try Margin Edge for free for 30 days. No contract, no setup fee. Plus, you'll get free unlimited training and support. That's MarginEdge.com slash Unstoppable. Now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Plate IQ card. With Plate IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering, and this is because Chow Now helps their restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. With Chow Now, take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site, and there are no setup fees or monthly payments. And what I really love about Chow Now is that you get to own your customer data. This is something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And when you schedule a demo, don't forget to ask about leveling up with Chow Now Direct, Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up today at chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chief Strategy Officer of Miso Robotics, Jake Brewer. My man, are you feeling unstoppable today? 
Eric, I have three cups of coffee in me. I have oh, four kids under six, and they all slept through the night. So absolutely feeling unstoppable. Right <laughs> You're now. ready to go, man. I love it. Awesome. Uh, let's, I cannot wait to dive into Miso Robotics, the history of Miso Robotics, uh, the state of robotics in the restaurant industry today, and what the future of robotics looks like. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I'm not sure if it fits in those categories, but I'm going to roll with it anyway. I professionally like to live by the statement of being replaceable as quickly as possible. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are afraid of getting replaced, and if replacement is necessary for advancement, man. So find the next person that's going to do your job better, You know, um, set them up for success so you can move on to the next bigger, better thing. So I've kind of tried to be replaceable my whole life. I love that. And I'm going to take it one step further and ask you, what's your best advice for being replaceable? It's got to be people. I mean, I, every job I've ever had, I tried to identify in the first 90 days, two things. One, who are two or three people that I kind of have pegged for if I could handpick my replacement, it's them. And here's why. And then what would they do in the first 90 days of their job that I should be doing right now, right? Because someone comes in and they always have these great big ideas that move things forward in the first 90 days. And, you know, you kind of get lax if you don't think that way. So those are the two, two things. Beautiful, man. Great way to get this thing started. So thanks for getting this conversation popping off on the right step. Let's take it to the evolution or the history of Miso Robotics. I kind of like to dive into the history of companies. So tell me more about Miso and how you guys got started. Yeah. um, What I love about this story is it's super organic. It's not forced at all. Um, So in robot restaurant years, we're like a thousand years old, but in real human years, we're just over five. Um, so we kind of were at the very forefront of what I would call restaurant robotics, like in its current form. And it started with a conversation between a guy named John Miller, who is the founder CEO of the Cali group, which owns a chain called amongst other things, a chain called uh, Cali burger and our founder, Buck Jordan. And basically Buck has been in robotics and advanced technology for a long time on the investment side. And, John and him are buddies, and he was. John was talking about this Cali Burger uh, concept that he was opening. He's like, "Man, it's so hard to keep people in front of a hot grill flipping burgers all day long. You know, I'm losing them left and right, and then I replace them, and I lose that person." And Puck literally was like, "Dude, I think I could make a robot that did that." He's like, "If you did, I'll put it in." And that was the genesis. That conversation was the genesis of Miso, and. You know, fast forward five and a half years later, we've had robots doing all sorts of things, flipping burgers included. Um, and that's how, that's how it all started. So 2007 roughly is when this conversation happened. When did the first robot get put to use? 2017. 17, so, right. yeah, yeah. That's what I meant to say. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you, man. I'm stuck in those ages. Um, so uh, the first robot got put to use um, in uh, Dodger Stadium. It was a really big deal. So... They, uh, the, the original concept this is before my time at Miso, but was a robotic arm mounted to a cart with wheels on it. Cause the idea was almost, um, like just totally flexible, replaceable labor, like train that arm to do certain tasks, first flipping burgers, roll it up to the grill, right. And have it start doing that. So they experimented at Cali burger for a bit, but the first place and the first thing they actually deployed, what we would say our first deployed robot was at Dodger stadium. 
and it uh, was actually doing French fries. Um, so we did a lot of tests with Cali Burger, but the first true deployment was at Dodger Stadium making fried products. And when was that? When was the, the year that, that, that this thing's working full time at Dodger Stadium? That okay. was 2000 and a beginning of 2018, I believe, is actually when that happened. So there's pretty um, and it worked ev- like advancement here from 2017 to 2018. Within a year, you guys started making things happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the time with – then we had our two co-founders join, Ryan Sinet and Rob Anderson, uh, both just super geniuses in mechanical and robotics engineering. And they got a really scrappy small group of people who are all still with the company – together and they made number one happen real quick i mean just you know it was this standard there's videos and pictures of them in a garage literally like a utility garage like all great founders do i guess is starting a garage and they're like literally programming this thing all day all night you know getting it to work and and they got it to work so what would, was the early, like the earliest rendition of this thing? Cause I know today you guys have like infrared and like all this, like other fancy tech that really help fine tune, uh, this machine's ability. But back then, like, like what type of advance, like where was it then versus where is it now? Kind of pick that picture of what it could do then. Yeah. So what it could do then was, um, starting out was just pre-programmed scripts, right? Like, Hey, if everything was in the right spot, I'm going to go down and pick up this thing and do this set of motions. But the, the big piece on that first, this is very early, super early days, was um, our, one of our co-founders has his PhD in like human robotic movements. Like that's kind of where his dissertation is. And the fascinating part about the genesis of MISO is there are a lot of things a human does naturally the most efficient way through time, whatever you want to call it, time, evolution, learning. But the reality is the way that we know how to like accelerate a spatula under a burger to get it to not stick and flip it over is almost natural. Like if I put you in front of a grill, you would do it in a much more, uh, uh, a much easier way than a robot would like naturally. And so to mimic those motions to like scrape a burger off a grill was really hard. And so our foundations are in kind of going, all right, let's learn from what humans have been doing for a long time in restaurants and see where that makes sense to mock up. But at first it was just kind of doing pre-programmed scripts. And then the very first big breakthrough was overlaying the vision systems, right? On top of that to where you now have call it the computer, AKA the brain, you have an arm just like you and I have arms. And then the thing that was missing was the eyes, right? And so we put those eyes on it. And those three things today still form kind of the basis of Muso Robotics technology platform. So when do the eyes get added to the mix? You know, not too long after the first renditions of Flippy on the cart. So cart Flippy is the one that I'm talking about here where the arm, our current arm hangs upside down. We'll get to that later. But this was on a cart and kind of the idea that was the basis was we could just have like an army of cart robots that task, you know, roll it in front of an oven, roll it in front of a fryer, roll it in front of a grill. And it could just learn to do these tasks. Right. Um, and so that first rendition, when it ever went into a restaurant, already had vision systems embedded into it. Yeah. And I know machine learning is something that you guys are leveraging today. Uh, was that a part of the mix then? Did that was was the technology at that point then that we could like you're pointing out, like when when a chef or uh, you're training a 
like a, a high school kid to stand in front of a, a, a grill, they might not have experience flipping a burger or what kind of technique to use to get the burger off the grill. But we subconsciously learn over time of a repetition. Oh, don't do it that way. Oh, when I came from this angle. Oh, and over time, like we become flipping masters, right? We just, but we're, we're subconscious to the process of learning. Um, now your robots are doing this too, which is probably one of the biggest hurdles I would imagine because you said the first robot that you guys brought in, everything had to be in place. Everything had to be perfect. As much as we love mise en place, we all know that every restaurant isn't like that. Like a, a real kitchen, there things get moved. Uh, like you, you get creative with space on the grill. Were, were those challenges early on? They, they for sure were. I'm going to tangent quickly. Miso Plus, just so you know, Eric, that's the basis of miso. That's why our name curious. is miso. I was curious about that. Yeah, yeah. Because so because the first rendition only works unless you have miso. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. You nailed it. So not many people know that French culinary term of like everything in its place. Um, but that's the basis of our name, miso. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. So that's not reality, right? And it's definitely not the reality in a QSR or fast casual kitchen, right? Things are changing. And there's a lot, I mean, my whole background restaurants um, is specifically kind of that segment, fast casual QSR. There's a lot of rigor put into it, but it's just, I mean, it's humans, right? And, and you're never going to do everything perfectly exact every time. And therefore, if you depend on that, you're kind of setting it up to fail. So the ability to adjust to a, what I'll call a dynamic surrounding was, was huge. And that was a, a huge support. And the machine learning piece had to be there from the beginning. And the reason I say that is all of a sudden you're relying on um, a, a vision system to do things like, hey, the chicken has to cook at a different time than the burger, right? Like there's there's standard operating practices for how you cook those things. And so you have to teach it to say, that's a piece of chicken and that's a burger. And that sounds really simple. I mean, my two-year-old would know the difference between those two things, but we're talking about training basically a robot from infancy. And so long ago, we started training the models against all these different food types. And, and now fast forward, you know, there's hundreds, if not multiple hundreds, uh, if not thousands of things that our systems go, I know what that is when I see it, right? Whether it's a, a nine ounce patty or a 12 ounce patty or a chicken or a cooked chicken or whatever it is, we're just gathering food imagery all the time. So what were the biggest hurdles you guys had to get over in the, the early years? What, how long have you been with the company? I've been with the company uh, coming up on two years, right? Okay. So somewhere between a year and a half and two years. And um, prior to me, um, for sure, it was all about building that tech, what they call the technology stack, right? So, okay, does this idea, like, can we get it to work? That's what they did so brilliantly, so quickly. Like, yes, we can get one to work. Going from one to a robust set of software and technology that is scalable, that's years yeah. in the making. You're going like, from one robot that, that, to one location, Dodger Stadium or wherever it is, and you got to work in this this controlled environment. But then can you replicate that? Can you bring that? Because we also know like one kitchen doesn't stay the same consecutively. We all know there are no two kitchens that are exactly alike. Snowflakes, man. They're all yeah. snowflakes, yeah. you know, um, and that's exactly right. So we had teams there around the clock, not because the system wasn't working, but it was like, all right, if it goes down, it's not like the work. It's not like a fryer where you go turn it on, turn it off again. See, like do all the, it was like you had to have a software engineer there to like make, see where the script failed, you know. And so going from that stage of getting one, and this is where I'll throw the quick caution in, you know, into the wind on, hey, robotics getting one, pretty. Uh, it's a, it's a feat, but it's it could be done by a group of five MIT engineers tomorrow. Like to 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 do one, to go from one to many. 
massively different equation. And that's and that was the next step of going, okay, how do we scale and how do we build this technology stack so it's robust? So in we're not reinventing the wheel every year. Like let's start with a big end game in mind. Once we knew that it was once the the, the founders and the core team was like, we have something here, we got to make it scalable. And then I joined, like I said, about about two years ago. All right. So what were the so we kind of identified some of the big challenges. Uh, how do you replicate this in different kitchens? How do you teach the robot how to identify different things on the grill? How do you teach the robot the fine mechanics of getting the burger off the grill? What, what were some of the other hurdles you guys hit along the way to get to the point where you felt like, okay, we can get this thing into as many as to as many restaurants as possible now. Like what were the the big challenges that we haven't addressed up to that point before we start talking about where you are today? Yeah, so um, there was a big shift, and it's important because the product, our, our flagship product name is Flippy. Because it was flipping burgers originally, that was the original task it was trained to do. But there is actually no burger flipping Flippies in the world today operating in restaurants. They're all at the fry station. And so that was a big moment of going, there are hundreds of avenues we could go down in the kitchen. We got to pick a lane. And it's got to be a big lane and a lane that's as replicable as possible. And the fryers were the no-brainer. There are millions of, of sets of fryers in the world today, and they're all generally um, similar sizes. They all use similar baskets. And what I'm talking about here is really just minimizing variables. And you kind of go, all right, the fried product that's going in there is what is kind of honed in by the R&D teams. Like, is it a coated French fries, a non-coated French fries, a frozen chicken tender, a fresh chicken tender? Is it actually a tender or is it a breast piece cut? All of those things are what should differentiate the brand. But who drops it in there for the three minutes and 30 seconds it's frying in 350 degree oil is not special. and It's super routine. And so you go, it's a highly replicable task that exists in many places in the world that also people aren't like jumping over themselves to be like, oh, put me on fry cook, man. Like, like it's dangerous, dirty, and dull. That's what we call it. Yeah. And so it was. Th- this is right. It's not sexy to automate. Not <laughs> sexy and, and 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 right for automation. And so that was a big pivot to go. Okay, let's take all this learning and go big on the fry station first. Yeah. So there's. I think there's an underlying lesson to be drawn from this, and that's um just from any entrepreneurial lean startup, it, like like a lot of restaurants. Start with a minimal viable product. Make it simple, stupid. Like let's start as simply as possible. Get it to master master something, right? And then scale from there and get feedback and slowly pr- progress. So you guys almost almost sound like you started a little too ambitiously. And you're like, well, if we really want to scale this thing, we got to dial it back and focus on, you know, owning of a, a niche within the restaurant, within the kitchen that a lot of kitchens have. The fry, the fry cook. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And you said another really important things. If there was like five miso tattoos, you said one of them, which is MVP. Mm-hmm. We live and die. Um, so as chief strategy officer, the product team rolls into me. So, and we're a product led company, you know? So the, the idea is like, it's my job and my team's job to make sure that proliferation doesn't go too wide. Right. Like there, are, I mean, it's like super fun to think about all the products we could bring to market, but in what order and even within a product, like what is the minimum viable product that we can bring that adds tremendous value to the customer at the fastest and most economical pace for miso? And there are so many crossovers because this new area is just exploding. And so that was the French, the, 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 the flippy at the fry station was certainly that. Yeah. So 
you're talking a little bit, I think, I don't know, you might've been dropping some mantras on us, some mission statements, but this idea of you, that Miso makes products that make restaurants safer, easier, and friendlier. Um, was that kind of what was driving what you guys were doing way back in 2000, you know, 17, 18, and 19? It was, is this a continuation of what was being echoed, echoed then, or is this a new mantra? No, that's the DNA. Like we're, I, what I love about joining me, joining me. So is like, we're super organic. It's not forced. It's not like we, you know, are, are forcing ourselves into all these mantras and ways of life. Our founders and the people who grew the company, those first five, six, seven employees, their heart and soul was to help operators lives. Like that is what they wanted to do. And that's honestly why a lot of it, we were going so wide is all of a sudden Miso kind of got out there just a little bit in name recognition in the early days. And people were pouring in like, I need help with pizza. I need help with coffee. I need help with baking. I need help with this. And it was like, everything that came in, it was almost like, yes, yes, yes. Like not out of greed. It was like, I see so clearly the need for this person today. Let me go help try to solve that. But it was too wide. And so that DNA of helping people and making restaurants a better, safer place to work has been from the beginning. We've just honed it to go, all right, to actually make that a reality, we ha- we're starting with this narrow scope. And then, and like, that's how we're going to help the most people is, is actually getting something out there versus having 10 of one things. Let's have 10,000 of this, of this product line. Yeah. Uh, so I can see how Miso, especially Flippy can make things safer and easier. How do, how are you guys exactly making things friendlier? How does a robot make things friendlier? Yeah. So a couple of things and it's drawing from personal experiences. You know, I've worked in a lot of kitchens. I've worked in a lot of restaurant brands, um, both as in like restaurant design, but also as an operator, like day to day, owning the PL, restaurant general manager, area manager, whatever. And that fry station, it is just, everyone has the scars if you've worked there. It's not a fun place to work. And so on top of that, if you're like, all right, I'm coming into work and not really super pumped about the job I'm doing, that's one thing. The other thing is, the labor shortage, and we're going to get there. Right? You're probably taking this some, at some point, but this labor shortage that keep, people keep talking about is kind of a joke to us who've worked in the restaurant industry. Call ops are a daily, weekly, if not daily thing, right? Like yeah. the number of post-it notes in every manager's office right now is like deep and it always has been. So the idea that there's a labor shortage is not new, right? I mean, do you agree? Well, no, I absolutely agree. And I, I try to bring it up as much as possible. I think people like to point their finger at COVID for being the reason why there aren't people in the restaurant industry. And I try to remind people this was a problem before COVID. Like this is like, this has been an ongoing problem for our industry. Um, so it sounds like one of the, like if I'm interpreting this correctly, it sounds like how you're making it more friendly is that you're taking that, that low man on the, the totem pole role. And you're saying, Hey, we're going to eliminate that role and we're going to have a more flat hierarchy. Like where the people that we bring on are going to be doing more stuff similar work. So you don't have somebody who's stuck on the, the crappy station. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. I'll use white castle as a great example. They've been, they're phenomenal partners of ours. And if you go to the white castles and talk to the team, like that's where the magic happens is the team. And they're like, all right, so life pre and post flippy, what does this look like? They're like, okay, I don't have to work that station anymore, which is great. Also, no one, let me be really super clear on this no one's losing their job because that job is going open in a lot of places and they're going great. Now I get to be customer facing or I get to go do a task that I'm not worried about burning myself. But then on top of that, the number one thing people are getting yelled at is like, Hey, fries, like drop fries, put fries down. Hey, we're the, it's a bottleneck in the kitchen. 
So all of a sudden the person working at drive-thru or bussing the tables or whatever is going, hey, listen, I'm not now stressed about is that fry order going to be ready? Are these people going to be ticked after waiting too long? It's more available more often. And so when the whole machine works better, everyone's been, well, anyone who's worked in a restaurant have has had those days where it's like, it was like magic today. Everything was in time. Everything was working. Honestly, putting a robot at the fry station is a big piece of that, right? Um, is to just help the whole system work more smoothly, efficiently. And we're seeing that in speed of service. We're seeing that in restaurant efficiency, you know, on top of the, the obviousness of not having to work the fry station anymore. Yeah. So at what point did Miso Robotics really start to scale and you start seeing it be adopted on a more wide scale, like, I guess just that like, being adopted on a more wide scale. Yeah. 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 And I think that's probably where I enter the story more aggressively. My background, 10 years at Yum Brands doing restaurant operations and innovation, went over to Kroger and was business owner for their fresh food service, like the in-store programs. And then was vice president of restaurant excellence for Carl's and Hardy's. And so my background, huge restaurant nerd, huge ops nerd. And I came in and they were, Miso was actually pitching me to put Flippy into Carl's Jr. And I was blown away. I've been aware of Miso, but I was blown away. They kind of went dark for six or eight months, kind of reframing. And they made Flippy over top of the fryers instead of on a cart in front of the fryers, which was a big deal. Why was that Um, a big deal? uh, Because vertical space is more available in restaurants. Aisle space is not available in restaurants, Mm -hmm. right? Um, on top of that, anything that works um, as it today, how it's classified in kind of restaurant code is if you park a cart and lock the wheels in front of a fry station, that's a non-movable object and you start to break ADA and fire compliance. So your restaurant gets shut down. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a non-starter, right? Um, so moving it vertical above fryers did two things. One, it shows the vision of the future of this extensible network of rails that have arms that can kind of travel around the restaurant, right? If you kind of go out to future vision. Um, current day vision, it doesn't hem you into a static uh, set of, of requirements of, hey, it has to be three fryers uh, or it doesn't work. It's like we can go over one, two, three, four, five, six, seven fryers because you're just extending a rail using the same software package. So we can go more nerdy on that in a bit. But like that was a big change. And I was blown away by that in my previous role. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm watching basically feeling like the test launch for Apollo you know, 11 going, oh, we're going to make it to the moon. I don't know if it's this launch or the next one, but we're going to the moon. And, and at that point they said, Hey, can you, you want to adopt this to Carl's? And I gave them a 10, like 10 things on a list just about including still at broke fire compliance, um, as well as a couple other things. I was like, for these, you're really close. It's amazing for these reasons. I can't adopt it. And by the way, I don't think any other brand can adopt this right now, but you're so close, like keep working. And that eventually got me a job offer by our CEO, Mike Bell, um, who was like, Hey, we have a lot of software folks. We have a lot of hardware folks from all the best places, name it, we have them. Uh, we don't have actually, for being a restaurant robotics company, a strong robotics operator, a strong restaurant operator to help guide the product vision. And that's where that's how I entered. Got it. And, and those, this and, is 2020 that, now. It's far, far, if we're looking at the timeline. 2020, yeah. 2020 yeah. is when I hopped in. Um, you know, perfect time to join a startup mid pandemic. I just had twins, you know, so why not take a huge risk with your career? You know, good. Well, time. I mean, um, it, it, but you, you're also seeing it around this time. I mean, like we pointed out that there was an issue with labor before the pandemic, uh, the pandemic kind of triggered what we're calling the, like the, the great resignation. And 
fewer and fewer people want to work in restaurants. Um, I think that there's, I mean, the data shows that, you know, as to why exactly we, like it's hard, it's harder to point out your finger exactly what's going on, but the data is there to show that there's, you know, this is a big challenge right now. So, I mean, I think the timing is perfect for Miso. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, but I think now is a really good time to take our first break to kind of, you know, reflect on what we set up to this point. We're going to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to dive into what Miso Robotics looks like today. Today's episode is brought to you by Margin Edge, a software platform for restaurant people by restaurant people. To be successful in the modern age, you need to be efficient by streamlining your processes and creating automation. Simply put, Margin Edge means data streamlined and insights automated. With Margin Edge, you can track food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. And who likes data entry? No one. So you'll be thrilled to hear that there's no more data entry with Margin Edge. They will save your team hours and paperwork by automating your invoice processing with line item detail. Don't worry about the integration either because Margin Edge allows you to seamlessly connect your POS and accounting systems and get a daily P&L. On top of all of this, Margin Edge enables you to digitally manage your inventory and recipes. Plus, you can compare actual cost versus theoretical cost. Find out why over 3,100 restaurants are thrilled to be using Margin Edge. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your free demo. And when you use that link, you can try Margin Edge for free for 30 days. There's no contract. There's no setup fee. Plus, you get free unlimited training and support. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. One more time, marginedge.com slash unstoppable. So we're back, and Jacob, I'd like to get into where Miso is today. So do me a favor, just kind of take a step back, big picture. What does the suite of tools in different product lines that you have look like today? Yeah, great question. So we spent a lot of time talking about the the beginning, early days, and I threw out numbers of like the founders and five people, and whatever. So most important, starting with people, you know, we're like a hundred and. 10, I think actually 112 as of this morning, full-time MISO staffed employees, 80% of which are software hardware engineers or robotics engineers, right? So we have uh, massively increased the number of people who've joined the company. Um, the other piece is we've in- increased the product lines, right? So now that we've brought in those people, it's not because they're all working on the same thing. We have to to meet the ambition of the company, but also to just help the industry. There's some big challenges to tackle out there, and we're starting to pick off. We we don't even say low hanging fruit in the company. Honestly, we joke that it's fruit, fruit that's like washed, packaged, and ready to eat. Like you know, and so we have three product lines now. We have the Flippy product line, which is anything with a robotic arm is in the Flippy product line. Um, and there's two products there. Flippy 2, which is the, the current version of our original Flippy product at the Fry Station. Um, and then we have a product called Flippy Light. Um, notably, Chipotle is the, the brand that's uh, first to use that. But it's a smaller, more compact version of Flippy that does one or two items at super high volume over one or two fryers. Chipotle is the easy example here because they're, one, using it. And two, they do a ton of volume of chips one product, someone's standing there and they take their recipe super seriously. And so um, having someone actually standing in front of the fryer constantly mixing chips is a tough gig. So that's the flippy line and there's two products there. Then we have on the other end of the spectrum, what we call Sippy, 
right? And if you didn't know it, we it sounds like we're like developing a child's toy line, like between our product names. But um, <laughs> Sippy is a, uh, a, ro- a an automated, so it's not robotics. Robotics meaning using arms, um, but it's an automated drink station. So this takes information from the point of sale, drops a cup, fills it with ice in the drink, and then really super um, importantly and brand new to the industry is it seals the cup uh, as well as groups it and labels it. So that the operator at the drive-thru takes the order, turns around, and if it's, you know, Eric, you, me, and one other person in the car, and we both got medium Diet Cokes and someone got a large Sprite, they turn around. There's an indicator that shows the next car up is, call it the blue car. So it's visually, you know, dynamic. So the blue car is next. Here's the grouping of blue drinks. I just know I'd have to grab these three drinks and put them in the station or in the holders and put them up the, the window. You don't have to lit anything. You don't have to think about which ones are with which order. It's just simply turn, grab, and go. Um, apart from fries, uh, fries is number two. Drinks are the number one most attached item in any, you know, food 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 establishment. You're getting fries and a drink. You're getting burger and a drink. Um, and so automating that just is, like I said, the lowest of hanging fruits. And then the other product line we have uh, is CookRight. CookRight is an AI vision platform. And this is for, it's kind of a tweener. So you have... Uh, Sippy and Flippy, which are like full automation. There's also brands that um, need help with really complex tasks and real-time feedback to get or to uh, teammates, uh, team members in the restaurant, but they don't either have a straight application for robotics or can't afford it or don't need it. I'll give an example. Uh, Cookwright Grill is a product we have that's in the marketplace now. If you've ever been in the back of house and you have these these big grills, these six foot grills, and there's literally 50, 60, 70, 80 items on peak. Each one of those items is cooking at a different time and a different temperature and has a different, you know, add cheese to these five burgers, take this burger off, uh, season this steak. It's, it's a task that takes a long time to learn, right? In brigade system kitchens, like that, the, the higher end, you know, this is something that's trained for, for a long time. We've tried to pull that down into fast casual and fast food, and, and expect the same result. But the reality is you're paying people less to do a much harder task. And these places are training people for two or three years to try to even be able to manage a grill that size. Well, CookRight takes the eyes and brains off of Flippy. All that food machine learning that I talked about earlier, we're putting that to good use to say, look at the grill, identify every product there, using the brand's SOP, their standard operating practices of how long should a product cook what are the steps to, to make sure that product is cooked to the brand standard? And it tracks all that and just tells you what to do. It gamifies that station for these employees. It also allows you to walk away and walk back and go, okay, right, that, that steak has 30 seconds before I can flip it. That burger needs to come off now. And you can almost cross-utilize that station more. That's an example of what CookRight is. It's, it's a AI technology at its core that helps streamline restaurant efficiency um, and then on the back end, it gives you more data, like data that we've never been able to have in our industry before. Yeah. So one of the things I'm curious about, and I would assume that CookRay is probably the newest addition or addition to your your tech stack or your the advancements that you're making. Yeah, it is. It's been under development for a long time, but it's the newest one to market. Yeah. And I mean, one of the cool things like back in 2017, when you guys got started today, 2020, like just generally speaking, technology has come a long way and what we're trying to figure out has come a long way. So what are the, what have been the biggest general advances that are kind of like collective knowledge, collective wisdom throughout all of robotics and AI that you're leveraging today? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So we, um, back in the early days, we were literally, we, I say we, as if I'm smart enough to do this, these genius robotics and software engineers were writing scripts and codes that had never been before written. It like Shakespeare putting pencil to the paper the first time, right? Like these are new codes. Today, fast forward, there's a lot of people working, uh, whether it's directly for food or not. It's like, there's a lot of people who are doing a lot of research in AI, machine learning, robotics. And so the community has grown. So therefore the tribal knowledge has grown. And if you need, um, if you're someone like me and you need like a even moderately complex Excel formula, I just Google formula to calculate X and I copy and paste that into my Excel document and, and move on. In a lot of areas where we had to invent things, those things are already now commonplace and we can focus on the actual hard tasks, the actual hard new things we need to do. So that's been a big advancement from a technology side. The other thing that has to be stated is, you know, say, say that one more time. Robot. Say that one more time for me. Say, I just want to make sure I fully understand. Yeah. So, um, the, uh, let me see if I can, the, the catalog of standard code has just continues to grow. Right. So if you could go Google right now, give me, um, I have a Yaskawa robotic arm. I want that arm to do a pick in place. You can just Google that download it to the computer, run it on that, that robot, and it would be doing this task, right? Like when we started, we were writing codes to do things like that, like simple tasks. Now all the simple tasks, like move from here to here, um, some of the, uh, the AI vision stuff is just kind of standard in the community. And that allows us to take these really robust tested code and that are, that are common, like it's open source, everyone can use it. And you put that in and go, I don't have to worry about that part anymore. Now I can focus all these really smart people at MISO onto actually solving the things that have not yet been solved. Like, yeah. hey, how do you um, recognize the difference between a medium rare steak and a rare steak, just visually speaking? That doesn't exist yet. We're gonna, we have to write that part. But all the things of even just recognizing that's a steak or a food item, those are common codes now. Got it. So it's, I mean, are you familiar with Moore's law? Yes. The idea that, and for the listeners who aren't familiar, it's just that this idea that technology is expanding at an exponential rate. And it's because of things like this, because of collective knowledge, people sharing. I really do believe that Moore's law is more of a representative of humanity and its ability to come together and share knowledge and progress as like, as like civilization progresses. And now that we have all this technology, we have data points to measure our progression. So we're just relating it to technology, but I think it's more of a reflection on what's happening in humanity and like, just like civilization right now where like, we're just sharing knowledge and the more we share, the more exponential it gets, the more people that come into the mix, it's really fascinating stuff. So what were some of the, the bottlenecks that were say around 2021, 2020, like the, the, the brick walls you were hitting that was holding you back from advancing and really taking this thing to scale that are no longer an issue because of this, this collective knowledge and this, this advancement in technology. Yeah. So, I mean, th that plus our team's ability to uh, get, you know, the, the fine tuning of the code, right? Like that was the basis. We didn't have that. We would have a reliable product and we do. So once we kind of got past that, the next big things to fall uh, for, for large-scale adoption is you start to think, oh, wait a second. If I go order uh, 10,000 robotic arms, right, that I would then be the largest purchase of robotic arms in the world, right? 
we'd go to talk to the largest robotic arms company in the world and go, hey, when we start to project out kind of 2022, 23, 24, 25, here's the run rate. I'm going to need, you know, 600 arms a month and then 1,000 arms a month. And they're like, time out, time out, time out. It sounds like you think you're talking about potatoes here, but you're talking about robotic arms. Like a big order is 50 one time, you know? And I'm talking about hundreds a month. And so all of a sudden we're like, right. The next big paradigm shift for me. So this was, you know, a year plus ago was supply chain. We got to go figure out supply chain. Right. Um, Because what does not yet exist is kind of like, there's not a lot, there's not a lot to point to in this level of robotic deployment. Right. So there's a lot in like warehousing for sure. Automation in automobile. Absolutely putting it into the KFC down the road or the star, you know, like these places that is new yeah, how, how many so, automobile automobile plants are there in the world? Maybe thousands yeah. or I'm probably thinking closer to a, a few hundred is probably more let's, realistic. Let, let's put it in the hundreds. And if someone came back and said, you guys are so dumb, it's 2000. I'm like, fine. Call yeah, it whatever the number there, is. There, I'm not, this is an automobile podcast, but you now we're talking hundreds of thousands of restaurants across the world, if not millions, you know, like 650,000 applicable restaurants. That doesn't even include like, Hey, let's just go ahead and take the, you know, the, the, you know, Latelier's out of the world. Like, you know, like these top of the world restaurants, like take them out of the mix. There's 650,000 restaurants in the U.S. that's applicable. Yeah. Go to the world. I mean, Yum Brands is building every day five or, or is it five or six restaurants every 24 hours in China. That's crazy. Everyone, you know, it's crazy. That's one brand in one country. You know, so you go, yeah, the deployment on this scale has not at this level of robotics because you know um, which is a testament officer. to the, the 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 significance of the restaurant industry and this is literally what i mean when i say if you transform the restaurant industry you transform the world and the thing yeah. is the restaurant industry has been so far back on the bell curve that once you get the restaurant industry to adopt this technology it's gonna make a fucking splash don't my, my language, but that's what we're looking at here, which is why I think it's really important that as we go into the future, we do it as intentionally as possible, you know, and we do it as, as consciously as possible, uh, um, conscious capitalism, you know, like what are we doing? Why are we doing it? How can we do this the, in a way that helps a lot of people, uh, not just in the restaurant industry, but the, all the, the ripple effect that this is going to have on so many other industries, robotics being one of them. How can we keep, how can we make jobs in America? You know, like maybe this is an opportunity for us to create like production plants in, in America. Obviously there's issues with, we've seen what happens when there's a pandemic and supply chain, you know, like why can't we just keep this stuff at home? Like how can we create local home-based opportunity with this stuff? Yeah, no, you're, I mean, couldn't agree more with what you just said and it's like i think it'll be um in the 70s or whenever it was right again not an automotive podcast but you go in the 70s when automation was making its way to the to the to the factories for gm and ford and all that it's like oh I, you know it's mind-blowing and it's taking jobs and all these things and you go fast forward you go there's more jobs in that industry now like there's more jobs um and you go okay but it's not something that people are interacting with day to day it was in the news cycles but i didn't see it Go on Reddit. Like our robots are being filmed by people in the restaurant being like, a robot just made my fries. Like in, in five years from now, it's it's going to be normalized, you know? And you go, okay, so it's one step closer to going, okay, but what other tasks um, to make humanity better, to make lives safer, jobs more enjoyable, 
what other things are out there? I think people, I think there's gonna be a lot of smart people going, oh my gosh, if the restaurant industry is doing this, you know, nothing gets my, the love of, you know, the professional love of my life is the restaurant industry. And I go, people are going to see it and go, well, if they're doing this, what else can we do? You know, I agree with you completely. It's the, the zeitgeist of, of humanity. The restaurant is not an, the restaurant scene is not an unimportant part of that zeitgeist. Yeah, Peter Diamandis addresses this in the book Abundance in his later book too, The Future is Faster Than You Think. This idea that so much human bandwidth, human potential, human energy is being devoted to tasks that aren't necessary, that are so beneath human potential. Uh, And when you replace humans with robots, you free up exponential bandwidth to solving world problems. And you're taking people who we're doing a, a remedial job and you're saying now you can contribute to part of the solution. Like we can tap into your mind and your battery, your brain, and that can go towards solving better human problems. The problems that only humans can solve that, you know, robots aren't quite there yet. You know, it's, they can no. do things, but they can't, they're not create. They're not good with solving creative problems. Right. Or, or creative solutions to problems. I should have said. Um, so this kind of brings me to my next where I want to talk about if people are listening to this and they're going, well, the future is robotics. Um, where do I start? How can I start? What restaurant concepts do best today with robotics? Yeah. Okay. So, um, the first thing, this is my public service announcement to whoever's, you know, to, to the listeners of this. And I say it every time, the number one thing that restaurant operators get wrong in robotics is they believe it's the future and you already nailed it eric like this is ha- go go on reddit you know go <laughs> there's videos of our robots working in restaurants today right now literally right now there's a robot cooking food somewhere in the somewhere in the u.s i guess right now that's made by us or someone else but ours are cooking right now it's today it's happening it's here the the brands and concepts that do best are are uh, basically they, we see brands fall into three different categories or concepts or people want to adopt robotics in the restaurants and the three categories i see are people who say they want to go fast and they do go fast these early adopters and you're seeing them in the news like we're not going you know these P, these pr pushes are completely mutual right like chipotle and panera and white castle and inspire brands right del taco Jack in the box. They're all saying like, we're going here because we're going to commit to this. We're putting a flag in the ground that this is going to happen. And they're the brands that are going, I'm going to make this work. They're choosing to say, I'm going to make this work. And these small things that might hold up other brands are not holding these brands up. Like they, they know who they are and they're going this, this circle of things that makes my brand. I know what they are and I know them deeply and you're not going to touch them. But things like who is constantly agitating chips in the fryer is not one of those things for Chipotle. Or who actually puts the the basket of buffalo wings in the fryer is not that for Buffalo Wild Wings, right? And they go, so I don't need to, anything I need to do to change even small practices or develop or layouts to make this work, I will do it because the upside's so big. So the, the thing that people get wrong is they go, oh, shoot, it's six inches off, man. Like I I don't have those six inches and we come in and someone like me and we have other folks who are now joined the brand who are restaurant operators, previous restaurant operators, whatever. And we walk in and we go, well, that prep card over there is taking up like nine inches and it doesn't seem like it has a real distinct purpose. And in fact, the purpose of it is landing fry baskets, which you no longer need. 
couldn't we just get it rid of it? No, we always have that. We always have that table there. You go, but you could get rid of it, right? And you're like, well, yeah, but our that's our standard design. Sorry, it doesn't fit. And you go, really? Like, you're going to let that six inches in that super movable cart over there or table stop you from deploying a fully robotic station for a place in the restaurant that today doesn't have someone staffed and is slowing you down and the quality is going to be better. And you go, oh, right. Like, you don't actually want robotics. You don't want automation. Like, if the path is so these brands that are like these early adopters are choosing to make it work um, and, and not relinquishing any core brand equities, then there's these brands that are saying, hey, I want to go fast. I want robotics, but they actually don't, right? What they want is to say they're trying robotics and they want to appease a board member or whatever it might be. And these brands are the ones that are going, I'm unwilling to move the, the cart or the table um, to get this in. So what are the and, thoughts? Sorry, finish your thought. I was just going to say it's, it, it can be fr- having lived on that side for, you know, 15 or so years. I'm like, I probably would have done the same thing. I'm not judging these people. I'm like, Oh man, like if I could just see how some of these brands and I can't go talk about brand X to brand Y because of all this, you know, trade secrets, secrets and everything. But it's like, I wish I could take some of these brands who are moving quickly and interject that into some of these slower brands for just two weeks. Yeah. But you you're know? pointing out just human nature. Humans are very resistant to change. We don't, we like to keep our neural pathways as normal as, as they are as possible. And change means changing the way you're, you're literally rewiring your brain, re, re creating new habits. Like you have to relearn. Um, and there's a lot of resistance. We naturally resist change because we, by nature, don't want to expend a lot of energy on thinking. It takes energy, like it, and we like to conserve energy. Your brain's a huge brain; uh, it's an energy suck. So our our default is to resist and to stay doing the things the way we've been doing it. Um. So yeah, like that's the, that's the natural reaction. Uh. But one of the things I've noticed, um, even prior to really robotics super coming into the conversation for me, like over the past year, I've really started to, to pay more attention to robotics. A year ago, I would have said the most successful brands out there today focus on doing one thing really well. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that because the cost of, of labor, training, um, you can put all of your energy into executing and creating systems around doing this one thing really well. Robotics, like they, they take that mindset and just accelerate it because, and that's what you're seeing, what I'm seeing with robotics right now. You're not seeing robotics in James Beard restaurants yet you know they're not there there's a level of creativity and skill and robots aren't there yet but they can drop a basket really well you know they can flip a burger really well and if i'm opening a restaurant and i'm trying to leverage the future i'm focusing on doing one thing really well and creating systems and adopting technology to execute that one thing to to streamline process so i think that's what i was looking for is like what kind of restaurants i don't want to answer the question for you but would you reinforce that is that where you're seeing robotics and focusing on one thing really well yeah um to get real restaurant nerdy pretty quick is to go honestly menu rationalization don't like go look at your menu everyone go look at your menu the dogs you know that are selling half a point here a point there even if you believe there's some huge benefit to it like be really hard on yourself. Like, do I, is that really the core of my brand and get rid of it? So I, I definitely support your statement. Um, I, I mean, just again, to though, to emphasize like Flippy doesn't have a maximum number of things it can cook, you know, 
it can it can remember call it infinite things right have a thousand things on your menu but the brands that will knock it out of the park with robotics are the ones that go here's what i know that i'm going to do really well everything else is up for debate right everything else is up for debate and that includes you know how you design your fry line right and we're pretty flexible it's not like we have one type but we can work with all the different hood types we work with all the different fryer types we're not a really static you know process but these brands that are slow i go they're even these these you know these slower brands are going i'm opening up one two fifty seventy restaurants next year and i go plan robotics whether it's us or someone else into five or ten please just go plan it in and, and we'll do it at that point you yeah. know and and that's what i i see the future being is more brands are getting that joke now like more than ever like this week and next week we just have more brands going okay fine our first install maybe isn't going to be in may but we have a restaurant opening in September and then five more in November and we're planning it in. You yeah. go, okay, great. Like, great. If I'm a restaurateur and I'm looking to open restaurants that are focused on profitability, uh, not that profitability is the end all be all, but I think there's a certain level of responsibility and I'll, I'll steal this line from Rudy Mick. Uh, it, it should be one of your core values to be fiscally responsible. And it's getting more and more difficult to be fiscally responsible as other expenses go up, mainly labor, uh, and also food costs are going up because people want more wholesome, uh, ethically raised food. So your expenses, are they're increasing. So the only way I see combating that is to take a segment of what's happening and just focus on that. And the other variable to this too is SEO. You're going to be better at owning one menu item online than trying to be everything to everybody. So I think, and the other part of this too is as retail space becomes starts to free up because more and more people are buying th- physical things online. Perishables, I think, more like the the industry is going to diversify. This is my project. I, I believe the industry is going to diversify. You're going to see tons of different spectrums of hospitality and food service. So. I just, I don't know. I just see this, this whole, there's a whole field of just owning one thing. And I think that there's an opportunity there that if you can own one thing and you can streamline process around one thing, that's the most, that's going to be the most profitable sector. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're hundred percent right. And also you're going to have a, if you own one thing, there's going to be a huge, let's again, fiscally responsible. Let's now go to the other end of the spectrum of like, okay, so say you want to build a big brand, say your ambitions are, I want many of my concepts out there and you have this really simple menu, let's just say you've spec'd the best chicken tender that you can spec, sustainably sourced all the things, the best, the best fry or whatever it is, call it another side item. Um, let's pick two or three things and go, those are, those are my menu. And there's maybe sauces or other things to differentiate on the back end. And I go, there's a concept that's going to come. I don't know who it is. And I don't know when it is, but someone's going to do that. It's going to be fully automated. And they're going to be able to drop this concept into thousands of places and it's going to be, you know, ethically sourced. It's going to be quickly expanded. It's going to be always hot and fresh. It's going to be using POS data and, and the third-party delivery data to be cooking exactly when it needs to be cooked, to travel exactly as best as possible so you have the best customer experience. Also, what it's not going to do is get overwhelmed, it being a robotic system, overwhelmed by a lunch rush. What I mean by that the tail end of every lunch rush I've ever worked, this same thing happens. Uh, and Eric, you have to have seen this. Oh, hey, um, we need a large order of fries. Or, hey, we need a six tender basket. Okay, great. Oh, we don't have any ready. Quick, drop a whole bag of tenders. Drop a whole bag of fries. They all go in and 
they just needed one. They just need one order, right? And so it was an emotional response to a stressful situation that causes massive food waste, right? If I could solve it, like if, if people looked at robotics and, and what Miso is doing as going, okay, there's a human element, but there's also this supply chain element of going food waste. Like you could probably afford better quality, more sustainable food at a higher price point because your waste is going down because you're not overreacting to, Hey, quickly drop fries. You're just going, Oh, I see an order of fries. Yeah. You know what? It might be a minute later than what they thought because I didn't see that order coming, but I'm not going to go cook six orders worth of fries in reaction to someone yelling at me. You know what I mean? Like you've been there, right? Even if you're not, even if you're not wasting as much, you, you still aren't, if you're dropping a whole basket of fries and you're saving some of those tenders or you're dropping a whole basket of tenders and you're saving some of those tenders for like a future order, you're going to make the, the quality better by doing it like just on like on demand dropping. Right. And so it's as fresh as possible, as high quality as possible. Um, the only thing I haven't really talked about yet, uh, I still want to talk about a little bit about the future of, robotics where it's going like what's in reach in like the next two three or five years uh you probably know much more i know you know much more about that than i do <laughs> um but what if somebody's listening to this right now and they're like i'm intrigued i'm i'm an entrepreneur um you know i want to be profitable i want to be relevant i want to evolve with the industry i'm interested where do i start i want to answer that question when we come back Find out why past guests like Tender Greens and Kava are using Play IQ for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Play IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. Now I've told you what's new with Play IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Play IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Play IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check ACH or Play IQ card. Also with Play IQ bill pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right, no more float. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to, no more duplications of efforts, and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app 
helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering. This is because Chow Now helps restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. Here's how it works. Chow Now clients get listed on the free Chow Now marketplace. Once they're there, they can meet new customers and take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site. There is no setup fee or monthly payment. Now, this is what I really love about Chow Now. You get access to valuable customer data, which allows you to personalize the experience and the relationship with your guests. In other words, you own the relationship with your guests, something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And we cannot wrap up this message without telling you about how to level up with Chow Now Direct. Chow Now Direct is Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. With Chow Now Direct, you get your own branded ordering app for iPhone or Android, email and print marketing, plus POS integration and much more. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up at www.chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com dot com slash unstoppable. We're back. And I want to shift the conversation to focus on if I'm listening to this and I'm maybe I'm, I'm opening a restaurant in the near future and I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I want to do. Where do I start? What do I need? Like what's, how do I, am, is this in reach for me or is this only reserved for the white castles, the Chipotle's, the Buffalo wild wings and the Jack in the boxes of the world? Or can I start using this in my mom and pop restaurant tomorrow? It, yeah, it's a great. It's, it's another really strong question because the reality is, um, the people who have stepped up to the plate and are taking the uh, the availability, right? There's only like these come off a manufacturing line, right? In Central Ohio, to your point, like U.S. made, right? So it's a Central Ohio manufacturing facility that's pumping out these robots, and um, the reality is, no, you probably can't get one tomorrow. But what should you do? You should absolutely reach out. I mean, we take every single reach out super seriously. And what we do is we ask for detailed information, you know, Miso does to say, tell us a little bit about your menu. And if you're like, okay, hey, here's here's our menu. It we make this um, you know, crispy onion ball that we hand form and then we hand drop into the fryer and you know, you have to stir it constantly um and that's what we want to automate. Like we respond back to those pretty quickly to go, Hey, you know, um, thanks for reaching out. Our product doesn't do that. Like that's, that's not what we do. But the brands that are going, Hey, listen, I have a really great spec fry and name 10, 20, 30 other fried items. Doesn't matter. Um, and I just want them cooked well. And here's the fryers that we use. And, um, I'm open to installing this, whatever you definitely get reached back out to. And you get put on the list of saying, Hey, okay, great. We're going to be super transparent. Our capacity sapped through, you know, September or October. But at that point, we'll engage with you to get this in, right? Um, here's some things you can do between then and now. Make sure here, here's the, the spec sheet, just like you were looking at a fryer. Here's the spec sheet for flipping. Here's the space requirements. Here's the voltage requirements. You know, you don't need floor drains. There's no really heavy lifting. Don't change your hoods. But here's the spatial requirements. If you can be ready when we're ready, then it's just an install to us, Right. It's just another install to us. There is a component that, you know, again, transparently to the, to the audience here is you go, 
we are training food for every single brand we work with because our vision systems, it's not like, oh, I see a chicken tender. It's saying, I see the McLean, you know, uh, three and a half ounce tender spicy breaded. Like it's looking with three nines of accuracy at what this food product is. And so we train, if you're a new brand, a mom and pop and say, hey, I use this, you know, um, whatever product. And we go, great, we're already trained for that. That's one thing down, like we're trained for it. But the reality is we're still building that catalog. So this time next year, Eric, it's going to be a lot easier because you're going to call up and we're going to say, okay, give us all your SKUs. And we're going to say, hey, okay, great. You know what? You're 100, our system's already 100% trained for all those SKUs. Good to go. You know, tell us when, we'll show up with the robot, we'll install it, train you, and we'll go away. Right now, it's probably something that is not, not here today for the mom and pop. But if you're, I mean, and when I say that, there's a scale that we have to reach, right? Like I have to take care of my business as well. To your point, we have to be super fiscally responsible. And just like we can't go too broad with our products, we have to go also, where's the, the deep wells of installations? I mean, that's the kind of the gravity of economics. But when I say that, like- It's just units of work for that, your company. If we're going to commit to a contract, which one's going to give us the biggest ROI? So we can take that money- Exactly pile it back into the technology and diversify the technology to be more attainable, to be more in reach to the smaller players. Exactly. We have a super long-term roadmap and vision for me. So like, we're not, Hey, what can we pump in a year to do this big thing? And then I'll walk I, away. I want to like, get into that roadmap because in. I know you are the chief strategy officer. You're constantly looking to the future and I'm excited to get into that. But if I'm, if I'm say, say I'm somebody who has a wing concept, right? A local yeah. three, five location wing concept, and I'm struggling with labor right now. When can I get flippy or dippy or whatever you're calling it? Uh, cause I know that it calls like Buffalo calls it wingy, right? They, they Yeah. Buffalo calls it wingy. That's the, <laughs> the, the funny side note is we don't have a concept yet that hasn't just named it, whatever they want. Yeah. The product is flippy, but everyone's like, <laughs> I'm going to call it like, like Chipotle calls it chippy. You know, yeah. it's like, Oh, that's, that's flippy light, but sure. We don't care. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, white, white castle calls it rock. You know, it's like, they've all like, per, like, there's a personification. Like they genuinely feel like it's a person working in their restaurant. Cool. You know, as, as that cool. AI improves and as that, like, you know, uh, as it starts developing personalities, you know, it's going to names will going to make sense. The, the white castle general manager gives it a, a rank every day, just like it's employees. Like you get a one to five ranking of like, Hey, here's how you did today. Um, and they rank flippy at the white castle. Well, that you know, actually makes that sense. Report. That's a, probably a good practice to start because as flippy gets tired, as I'm sure all machines start to break down and like, it's going to have to be, Hey, we should probably get maintenance, you know, hundred percent. Um, Flippy um, needs a yeah, vacation. So, yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> it, yeah, sorry. Total, total, total tangent there, but it is, I do love how people are naming them. Um, so yeah, yeah back know, to that question. If I'm a local mom and pop, um, frying operation, it, like a uh, wing, wing operation or, or tenders operation, when can I start? Um, when can I, plan to have a, a flippy in my, in my restaurants. If you have call it 10 locations or more, reach out, reach out today. We'll start getting those people in. And how the long reason from why, the day that I make contact to you, I just got a loan for $10 million. Like I want to make this happen. Like uh, this is a total hypothetical. How soon yeah. from the point of contact to execution, they're working in my restaurant. 
let's say, okay, so all the hurdles, you know, we jump over all the hurdles of it's already trained to do your stuff and all that. Let's call it six months, right? From like, literally I email you today. Like if you said, I'm agreeable, I will be super agreeable to any small hurdles that come up, meaning, Hey, um, can you move that small table over there? This is how it fits in. And you know, all that you go, it could be six months. You could have a robot cooking all your products. Got it. Um, okay. The, the next obvious question is how much is this going to cost somebody to have one flippy in their restaurant, one flippy, 10 locations, one flippy, every location. Yep. So we switched that model pretty aggressively. We used to ask for a bunch of money up front, like, Hey, robots are expensive. Um, also, you know, they have require maintenance. Also really important thing is we're selling platforms, not pieces of equipment. Like, Flippy will get smarter and learn tasks over the years. That's what it's a contract period, like a cell phone. Like there will be future apps, let's call them that you can download to your Flippy. Some of them just free with the system and some of them will be paid. Like, Oh, you want oil monitoring to improve your oil quality and longevity and whatever. Great. That's an, that might be an add on to Flippy. You know, it, that's the, the product plan anyway, down, down the road here. And so you go, it's going to, it used to cost you a lot of money up front. Now it's a robot as a service. So it's five thousand dollars to install Flippy and three thousand dollars a month, okay. right? Per and per, per the, Flippy per location, per Flippy per location. Got it. And we do the work up front with the brands to go, and we've—I mean, at this point, it's just a rinse and repeat. The labor it displaces is far more than that. That was so my next question. Say, that was my next question about what am I saving? What is? How will my my op my my labor expense be affected by this? Give me an example of how much of a dent that's going to take out of my labor expense. Yeah, so we we say the term the amount of redeployable labor because the reality is no one's taking them off the shift; they're just putting into another gap that's already in the restaurant. But the the amount of labor it's displacing in the restaurant is somewhere around fifty six hundred bucks a month, right? That depends on, of course, that's two shifts, right? So two two peak periods, lunch dinner business, and you have someone staffed at the fryer for those lunch peaks, right? So if you have someone staff there for those peaks and call it shoulder hours too, so eight hours a day across both peaks, you're going to be saving fully loaded wage rate about that much. That includes, you know, paying someone full-time insurance. So a gap of about $2,600 a month. That, that's what we're seeing. Yeah. And there, but that's where we go. We feel really super confident because then there's brands that go, well, I do tater tots at breakfast. Great. That's more to put into the pile. Oh, our wage rate's more like 17 or 18 bucks an hour. Okay, well, that makes it even easier to justify. Um, so, you know, we try to start with something that's really reasonable, but the reality is it the proof's in the pudding, right? Um, on the back end, like you sign a contract just like you do with your cell phone, um, you know, to have a flippy, you try, you sign a master service agreement for a length of time. Okay. But the reality is, the, the reality is you can get out of that. Now, I'm not saying like through like a loophole. It's like, hey, with 90 days and there's a, a de-install fee, like, you know, but and it's not aggressive. It's like, okay, if you, you'll pay to what, deinstall it. What is the deinstall fee? Like for our team to come out and. Yeah, but what is, what is the total of, of the deinstall? Do you know? Oh, oh 5,000. 5, it's the same thing. 5,000 and 5,000 okay. now. And so, but, but the idea here is going, you can fire Flippy. Like you buy a fryer, you're with that fryer for the next nine, 10, sometimes 15 years, right? Like it's there because it costs you a bunch of money and it's. Flippy can be fired just like an employee can be fired a little bit longer lead time. So we have to get people there to take it out. But you know, that's the other thing is we're like trying to just knock down hurdles to adoption. Cause we feel so passionate about it. We're like, 
no, you're not like people get afraid of when you say, Hey, this thing can live for seven years as is. And they're like, Oh my gosh, that's a big long commitment. I go, no, 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 no. Think of it as a 90 day commitment. Like at any point you just say, Oh, Hey, this, this isn't working. Right. Okay. Take it out. Now we haven't had that happen yet, but theoretically it's possible. So does that 3000 a month, right? We said about 3000 a month. Um, to maintain, does that include maintenance? Is that being factored in? If, if, if Flippy breaks down, do we have to pay more to get somebody else or somebody in to fix it? No. And that's one of the big fundamentals of why we shifted to the robot as a service model. Fact, there's not been a long history of robots in restaurants. So therefore, we don't actually know what the right maintenance schedule is. Now, robots work in really strenuous, you know, oil fields and automotive plants. This is, we kind of call this the retirement gig for a robot, right? Like it's pretty easy for these arms. It's not like a stress on the, on the robotics piece of it. But the reality is we don't know what's going to break in five years because it's not even that old yet, right? And so if we were to try to encumber the customer with preventative maintenance costs or break fix costs, I we all feel at MISO that it would fundamentally slow down adoption. And so therefore we're like, we're putting, we feel like we have the best engineering team in the world. We're going to go and put this challenge to them and say, Hey, the less this thing breaks down, the better bottom line, we're going to have a business, but we're not going to encumber the restaurants with that. Oh my gosh, am I going to have some big repair bill this month? $3,000 is all software, all preventative maintenance and anything that breaks apart from, you know, someone opening the barrier and swinging on it, which we would know because there's cameras. Um, but like, you know, anything that breaks, we fix anything that's maintenance, we fix all within that one flat fee. There's no subtext there. Okay. What happens when the robot does break down? Um, and it's, you know, Wednesday and it's not going to get fixed until next, next Wednesday. And I'm out a week of nobody yes. like what happens then so you won't be out a week um so we have service level agreements and when we open up a new city we get local techs so everything's local um so that there's we train people locally to service the the robot um but this is a really it's a really important question you just asked we would be and robotics as a whole would be completely non-scalable without what misa the, the approach misa is taking here it is no harder to service a MISO robotics product than it is to service an oven or a fryer that's currently in the business today. And that took a lot of really smart engineering to make it that easy. So if if Flippy goes down, right, yep. um, or goes up because it's hanging from the ceiling or whatever, <laughs> yeah. if it's not yeah, yeah. working, can I get somebody in that space to step in for Flippy? Can I get a human to step in for Flippy? Or is yeah. there like issues with like safety and you're in, you're in a robotic workspace, you might get nope. decapitated by a fry basket if you're, you know, <laughs> just tweaking yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Big, huge, bold. Um, you will not ever get decapitated by Flippy. I couldn't make that more obvious <laughs> for the safety of my company, but um, no. So it's a, it's a tenant of our product development process. Any automated product that Miso makes must also be able to be, um, uh, um, delegated to a used in a, ma- yeah. in, in a manual sense. Okay. So sippy, you can still push the button and, and pour a drink. If like, you know, it stops. Same with flippy, you lift the, the safety barrier, then it automatically, you don't have to tell it like it knows it's in stop mode, right? Yeah. If the arm for whatever reason, say it had an issue where it stopped right in the middle of the fryers, you can go into a mode where you just push it to the side, right? Like it kind of gets loose you push it to the side. And this is why, 
we do not mandate the type of fryers you use and we use your current fryers. We don't, we use your current baskets with attachments on them because if I ask that now, Eric, you have to step back in. Yeah. You're kind of down an employee. That's not great. Not saying that's great, but what you can do is still operate your business. There's no world like the McDonald's, you know, machine where it's like, Oh, sorry, the soft serve machine's down today. No one is ever going to say the fry machine is down today because the reality is anyone can step in, use the buttons on the fryers like they always did and use the baskets they always did. Um, so Miso has to be able to manually cook um, if, ever, if ever an issue happens because we can't st- we can't stop restaurants revenue. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think I, I asked a lot of the questions I had about basically where Flippy is today. Uh, is if It sounds like it's not necessarily accessible to everyone but when do you think how much longer do you think it will take until flippy does become accessible to more people a one location three locations yeah my advice would be reach out today we take those very seriously and we catalog everyone we're getting just so people can kind of get a sense we're getting 50 to 80 reach outs a week from one and two store operators through our website right those are super valuable and they're kind of just prioritized in in like hey we these people got in really early right um, and I'd say we're probably nine months away from being able to deploy to those. And again, that's kind of down to getting past, getting manufacturing stood up, scaling our install teams, things like that. Are you looking for maintenance people? Are you hiring? Um, we uh, were, Miso's always hiring for the record. We're hiring <laughs> um, robots, robot service specialists all the time. But it kind of circles back to that other piece of, we've spent a lot of time developing a system that from a product perspective has to be super serviceable in the field. Um, and so everything's modular. If the arm were to have some catastrophic failure, we haven't seen it yet, but let's just say like a joint goes out on the arm and it can't be used like that arm. We're not going to sit there and turn wrenches for hours in your restaurant. We're going to unbolt the four bolts, unplug the, the cable, and we're going to take that robotic arm out, bring the new one in, plug it in and, and, and recalibrate and off you go, right? So it's modular in that sense. If you've ever seen the movie Wally, like there's a part where Wally kind of gets crushed at the end and there's all these spare parts because Wally was one of thousands of that type of robot. And they're like popping new eyes on Wally and trying to get him. Like that's kind of exactly what we're doing where it's like, hey, if something goes down, it's a quick hot swap versus some big intensive robotic you know, maintenance program. And that's why I say it's as easy to service as a fryer. The same techs that are servicing your fryers um, this year and next year and future years will be servicing your robot. That doesn't mean they're fixing a robot. That just means they're servicing it in the restaurant. What's the entry level salary of a Miso Robotics mechanic? Like a mechanic or just... Somebody who comes in and swaps out the robot arm. Right. So those, that's um, the way we're scaling that is local. So those are local folks. They're not MISO employees. We train local service techs. So it literally could be actually the person that's servicing your fryer today could be being trained by MISO right now to that when we enter, say, the Dallas market or the Atlanta market, those service groups are the ones that go, oh, hey, while I'm here fixing your fryer, um, I'm going to perform the preventive maintenance on your flippy. So it's, it's literally the same people. And so they're making whatever they make today, I guess. I mean, what approximately like, is that a good salary? Is that a good living? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, these, these service techs are making 35, 40, 45, 50 bucks an hour, you know? Um, you know, so call it a, you know, entry level 50, 60 K job. And some of these folks are making well into the, the six figures. Beautiful. Um, 
I think I have, those are all my questions about like miso today and uh, what it takes to get miso. The only thing we haven't discussed, I'm looking close. We only have 10 minutes left. So <laughs> where, where is miso going as far as where are robotics going? When will you see miso, for example, owning a whole, like not just the fry section, but maybe it's doing a saute and then flipping around and then doing grill. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. 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 So I mean, where we're going, we're not trying to hide or make it like super secretive. You know, the this fact that we have robots on rails is this extensible system around the kitchen. That was intentional, right? Using vertical space in the kitchen. And so there's a world coming in the medium term where there may be congruent stations next to each other that are on the same rail. And those robots are now working in tandem, maybe hand, like breading the chicken and handing that breaded process off to the, the robot that's frying the chicken. Right. That's not that's not an unforeseeable world in the near term, like in the near medium term. Um, give me give me a time. Frame. It, what's near? What's uh, near is relative. Near is relative. <laughs> we have new products that will be hitting the market in the next 12 months um, that are like really re- like really going to change again how we look at the kitchen. So what is the technology um, that needs to happen that needs to improve to take this thing to the point where you have a flippy that is managing a menu say a, a four a four or, or a six protein menu where it recognizes a, a salmon versus a fillet versus a t-bone versus a burger you know what i'm saying and and can where how close are we to that we're there so the reality is we can do what you just said so why don't we see those, those restaurants on the list of your, your clients how come they're not being used um we are pulled by the market and so what I mean by that is it's not a question of, hey, could you go automate, say, the grill to do that full task, right? To, to know all those things and prep all those things and do all those things. The question is, how many people want us to do that right now? And is that the right next endeavor from a MISO robotics standpoint, right? So let me give a little bit of background on how we go to market. We think it's pretty smart, but obviously, you know, it's us. So um, the... The reality is we have this really deep product roadmap across all of our products, right? Call it not even, it's not even applicable to talk in years, call it five or seven products within these categories. And then we have people that come to us and say, I have this big problem and it's really prevalent in my industry. So cook right coffee is a perfect example of this with Panera. We had a product called cook right coffee that we had an MVP um, product requirements document done here's the market, here's the research, here's why we think this is the a right product under the cook right banner to bring to market. And then Panera approaches and goes, hey, we have this problem. We go, oh, interesting. We know about that problem. We have a product that we want to bring to market that solves that problem. And they go, great. Once you bring that to market, we'll help you test it and vet it and partner with you on that. Now, not own it, but partner on it. And we go, great. That just advanced that product up the roadmap significantly. Because I have a customer in the center post of what we're trying to solve that wants to test it with us. So we brought that product forward. So to answer your question, Eric, it's like when the next big, you know, if, if like the grill we know is a place that could be automated. So the question is, when are people going to come in mass and say, Hey, we're ready to trial this when you're ready to bring it to market. Versus we don't want to bring products to market and go, we really hope someone really likes it. Like we're going to bring products to market that are being pulled. And there's so many polls right now. It's not a problem. Right. 
So I think now is a good time to open it up for Q and A. We still got about we got a few minutes left for Q and A. Uh, so I, there are a few questions that rolled in. Uh, Tristan, if you want to go ahead and unmute your mic, I know you had a question in thereafter. If you have a question, just go ahead and raise your hand, and I'll come to you. All right. So my question is: There any like foreseeable future of Sippy being able to like pour beers, wine, you know, open bottles, you know, kind of give bartenders more time to focus on like the more really complicated intricate parts of bartending or even like guest service aspect of it yeah under the whole drinks platform automation and by the way there's automation kind of coming in that area already so we um if you kind of go search robotic bartender there's a couple concepts out there now kind of skirting back an hour or so i'd go be careful for the ones that are like oh i've done it once like where are the ones that have done it like replicated like five or six times right but um, that type of activity is happening and we um, have things that outside of soft drinks on our roadmap for sure. The, uh, the bartenders like helper is really high on the list of obvious needs for the industry. So you, you nailed it. Like those things are really applicable. There's also like, how do we fill a beer today? Like from top down, is that still the right way? Like maybe bottom up, you know, um, are there other small are there small wares or other small technologies that could help also automate? So you have to kind of, we think of the whole system when it pertains to like, say coffee is another one, like coffee is right for automation. Right. And there's people that are kind of dipping their toe into that. Um, and so, yeah, the, the future is definitely there. It's going to be here. The reality is there's already some competition in that area. And it's not that we're afraid of competition, but it's a little bit of, okay, like rather than fight over that, there's six other things that are just, ready to be automated that we could probably go into soon. So I don't know if it's the next thing we're going to do, but it's definitely things that are on our roadmap. So one question, I don't see any hands going up. So I'm going to ask a question you mentioned earlier. You're looking at miso being another item to be added to the tech stack. And you talked about these different apps and when I, I know a lot of people, they hear this, that when they hear apps, they go, not a friggin' another app I have to manage or pay for or you know, another service fee. Uh, what, where's the integration? What's that looking like? Are there people on the horizon that you're in, in, in cahoots with, with integration as far as a uh, enterprise solution or anything along those lines? Yeah. Um, good clarification here because what I was not so clearly trying to articulate, obviously, is going... Think of what Miso does um, in the future is this this interconnected network of AI and robotics in your kitchen. So say there's now six Miso products in your kitchen, right? You and something, our soft, you know, flipping burgers, our, doing fry laters, you got it, uh, you know, sippy going over there. Got it. We're we're bread we're breading some chicken, we're monitoring the coffee, we're doing all these things. And there's gonna be this central nervous system, like this hub that we're developing, right? Where all of this is going to come together. And we go, hey, we have a new MISO is releasing for our operating system, a new app. Let's call it CookRite Oil, right? And this this product is going to save you on oil costs because it's going to tell you when to filter appropriately. It's going to tell you when to change your oil. It's going to tell you if you're doing it too soon, too late, whatever. All through this, just an upgrade to Flippy because we can do that through vision systems. We might say, hey, if you want that, we, we estimate if you fry as much as you fry in your restaurant, because we know how much you now fry in your restaurant, we think you're going to save about 120 bucks a month, and it's going to cost you 35 to download this software app to the MISO platform. And they go, oh, great. That makes total sense for me. I'm going to download that app. And all of a sudden, the next day, 
your robotic system that you've had for three years now has a brand new skill that we've developed. So that's when I say it's a platform, think of it like a smartphone where you're buying a, a, a little computer and then adding all these widgets to it. When you buy Miso, the, 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 where this is all heading is you're buying a platform that then will continue to add to that platform over time and it'll all kind of coalesce really nicely. Okay. Um, Wes, go ahead. All right. So we've talked about a lot of different areas and, and I know you just brought them up, but if you were to look at a restaurant uh, that you're operating, you know, one that has a bar, um, you know, you're serving alcohol, uh, coffee service, food service, uh, what are you going to look at as your top three places uh, to automate if you are sort of the smaller business owner, you don't have a huge budget uh, necessarily, uh, but where, where are you going to go first? I'm going to go to the areas that are three things and they usually overlap pretty nicely. Um, bottlenecks. So where in the kitchen are you slowest and most inefficient, right? Um, there's a natural efficiency that'll be gained through robotics um, for sure. Where are you often short-staffed, right? Um, and then where do you often have a large amount of waste, right? And it all points back to the PNL. If it doesn't make sense on the PNL, like adoptions, it's a science fair project. It's not an actual business tool. And so if I'm that business operator, I'm going, all right, who's not showing up often? Fry Station is obviously where we've started. Also, where's a lot of food waste? And then where am I slowing down? And all of that, turn, you know, more turns on your tables or drive through or whatever your type of restaurant is. Um, lower, lower waste, obviously, is, is better cost of goods sold. And then um, people not showing up is, is simply a labor problem. That's you got, a, that's you guys a got a robotic dishwasher in the mix yet? <laughs> Let's just say robotics and dishwashing mix very nicely. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Jacob, for taking the time to join us today. Uh, We do have to wrap it up. I realize we're five minutes past the time you agreed upon. I thank you for going over. Uh, How do we learn more? Where do we go if we want to continue the conversation? Yeah. So if you're a restaurant operator, uh, misorobotics.com, I hate to be as simplistic as that, but you can reach us. I look at every single one of the reach outs personally, as well as another team of people every single day. So if you reach out on that platform, I will see it. Um, also, it has really great media and explanations for all the products. Um, and then my, um, uh, you can go uh, search me on LinkedIn, Jacob Brewer, Miso Robotics. My email's on there. My phone number's on there. I'm always happy to chat with people. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jacob, for, for joining us, for sharing the history of Miso, uh, the logistics of Miso, for interested in getting involved, the future of robotics. There is no questioning, my man. You and Miso are unstoppable. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Cheers. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. If you guys enjoyed this one, please make sure you support this podcast by supporting our sponsors, by using our affiliate links, by sharing this episode with everyone you know, and by coming in and hanging out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. And uh, man, I was really excited by this episode, not just because of what we learned in regards to Miso Robotics, the history, what's going on over there now, uh, what the future of Miso looks like, but also the ripple effect. Uh, what kind of opportunity will robotics create, not just within the industry, but the satellite industries with sales and engineering? And maybe, yes, we'll be losing jobs like dishwashers and fry cooks 
and I'm sorry if I offend anybody by saying this, but these aren't the most rewarding positions. Yes, people can find reward in these positions, but at the same time, can we afford to pay dishwashers and fry cooks 20, 25, 30 bucks an hour? I don't see that happening. I see us automating that type of work, remedial work and creating opportunity, uh, more technical opportunity. Uh, like I just feel like it's the natural path and maybe you can prove me wrong. And, and I don't mean to be disrespectful by saying that, but I feel like this is the natural progression. This is the natural evolution. We don't know what we don't know. And I think there's gonna, a lot of unknown opportunity that's going to spur from this. And I'm excited to keep my eyes open for that. And that's just kind of how I feel right now. So um, other things going on, I want to let you guys know about uh, in the network. We had David Dressler, who was going to be joining us to go over destructive creativity. Uh, However, we had a reschedule. So if you weren't able to make that recording on Tuesday, we're actually doing that tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time. I'd love to have you guys be live in the network to join us for that conversation. And I'm also looking to build the network and pull strategic type of people into the network Uh, If you consider yourself a toast expert, somebody who is just a whiz kid on all the features and the ins and the outs of toast, uh, I'm trying to build some community around that tool because it's one of the most recommended tools on the show. And I think it would be cool to get some experts in the network to to lean on. Uh, So if you know anybody or if you are that person, reach out to me, Eric at RestaurantUnstoppable.com. All right. That's it for today. Until next time. Peace out.